Good morning again, Harmony. In our house, um, there's a few rules that I, I try to enforce. And one of the things I'm big on is I, I'm not a huge fan of my kids saying that they love things. Because I, I just find we have massacred that word in English language, especially in America. So in our house, if, if any of the children say, man, I love Superman, or I love Batman, or I love this soup, or I love In-N-Out Burger, or I love whatever, if it's not a person, they will immediately hear from me or from mom, we don't love things, we like things, we love people. And we say this all the time. And so Ty, of course, has been indoctrinated in this. Uh, he is well-versed in this. Jake is just starting to, to kind of get caught up in this as he's being three. And so it was funny because last night, Nicole was on the phone with her mom and was talking about how she loved this dress. And if you don't know the layout of our, of our house, we have a restroom downstairs and Jake was in the restroom and all of a sudden you hear this little voice go, Mom, we don't love things, we love people. <laughs> I'm like, he's getting it, yes. <laughs> but we're big on that in our house because we just we, t we tend to use that word so loosely. And, and the problem with using it so loosely is that there's moments in our lives where we want to say it and it to have impact. We say it and we don't want it to be just taken as a nice compliment. We want it to be said and to have this magnitude. You know, like when you're telling your, your significant other for the first time you love them, you don't want them to think that's the same emotion that you have for your favorite pizza place, right? When you're looking at the person you're about to marry and have just proposed to them and you say, I love you, you don't want them to be thinking about the same emotions as they have for their favorite movie. But right? in those moments, you want when you say, I love you, for those words to hit them with all the weight of exactly what they mean. And unfortunately, because we, one, use the word for too many things, and secondly, because some people have used it wrongly, right? some people have said that with the intention to make you think they have those emotions for you, but they don't. It has kind of become a throwaway word for us. It's become a word that we hear so often, we really don't believe it. It kind of reminds me now, like when you're watching commercials, right? You don't really believe anymore as adults that those new Nikes are going to make you run faster or jump higher, right? No. You remember as a kid you did, though? Right? I mean, I remember, like, believing it, right? You'd go to the store, you'd put on the new shoes, and, man, you'd start running, be like, Mom, you see this? You see that? I got, I'm jumping higher, I am running faster. This is fact. You could feel it. Nowadays, you're like, no, I, I know that's not happening. Nothing is making this body jump higher or run faster. But you believed it back then because you weren't as experienced. Unfortunately, there's a lot of us that sit in this room, and we have been so burned by people saying, I love you, and not meaning it, that when we open up the Word and we go into what Christ has to say about His love for us, when we go into the Word and we hear what God has to say about His love for us, we sit there with calloused hearts and closed ears and go, eh, heard that before. I've heard that before. Today I want you to, to break that shell. And I want you to forget what you think you know about that word. And I want you to listen to what God has to say about the word love. And what it is that He means when He says, I love you. 
we're coming to this in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we've been in Corinthians for quite some time now. I think this is Sermon 13. And we've been breaking down this book, and there's been three things we keep coming to in the book of Corinthians. The first is, is the church is united in the Word. And what that means is that you and I, because we are disciples... And because we believe that this is the word of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we believe this is the word of His Father, God Almighty, we believe it is perfect. We believe it does not carry flaw, and we mean that anything it speaks to, it is the authority in our lives about. And so this is what pulls us together. This is what unifies us. And we are subservient to it, both in the places that we really like what it has to say, and we're subservient to those places where we're also kind of hurt by what it has to say. Because at the end of the day, what we believe about this book is that this book was written for our benefit. And both the difficult parts and the easy parts to read are both written with a love that has our best interest at heart. So this is what pulls us together. Not music, not the way we look, not where we live, not anything else but... Our unity in the word of the Almighty God. Amen. The second thing we've talked about is because we are united by the word, because we are the church, we know that we're at war with the world's culture. And so today as we explore this word of love, we see this blatantly out there for us. The world loves the use of the word love. It uses it all the time. It does not mean in any way, shape, or form nearly close to what God means when he says, I love you. Anybody remember um, Jimmy Johnson, the Cowboys coach? He was, he's probably one of the better Cowboys coaches, not Landry, of course, but a good Cowboys coach, won multiple Super Bowls. And one day they were interviewing him about the relationship between a coach and a player. And they said, you know, Jimmy, you're always big on telling your players you love them, but that was hard sometimes when you trade them away or get rid of them. And you go, well, let's be honest, I loved them as long as they could tackle for me. <laughs> and that's exactly what the world means. I care about you, I value you, as long as you do X. Right? I love you as long as you look like that. I love you as long as you make me feel this way. I love you as long as you have money. I love you as long as you have capabilities to make my life better. I love you as long as you serve me and take care of me. I love you if, 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 if. And the fear of the world is, is what happens when you no longer can hold up your end of the bargain. I thank God my wife did not love me for my hair. Because I'd be in trouble right now. Right? Thank God that, that my physical looks were not the reason that she decided to marry me. Because I would be, I'd be without a wife right now. Now I know you're sitting there going, but you're still gorgeous. I know. But that's only with you knowing what I look like right now, not what I used to look like, which my goodness, it would have been distracting for you guys. Okay? Thank goodness that isn't the deal of our relationship. How many of you in your relationship have loved someone who has had a major health issue? Can you imagine at the moment you get your sickness, that they look at you and go, I loved you as long as you were healthy. Sorry. Sorry, like this is too much. But let's be real, that's what the world does to us every single day. And this is where we see that war with the culture, we see it every day. Not just in the big, but in the micro. We see it in the details. 
And so we're united in the word. We are at war with the culture of the world. We do not live in both those things. And the other thing is, we're always growing and serving. And you'll see today that the reason that love is so important is love is the why behind that. The reason that you and I are always growing, the reason that you and I are always serving, is because there is a well of love that Christ has put in us that demands that those things happen. You know, it's funny, I can't tell you how much having children has inspired me to try to be a better me. Right? Because I know those little kids in my house are looking at me and they're looking at me as their definition of what it is to be a man, of what it is to be a Christian, of what it is to be a father. And I want that to be a really good definition they set in their minds. I, I look at those things and I, I want to be the best because I love them and I want them to have the best in the world that they can have. And that's a similar thing when God is in our lives is that when this love is here, you and I are not serving so everybody can go, man, what an amazing person. We go to the food bank and serve because we actually love the people who are hungry. Right? We, we stop and we give a gift card or five bucks to the guy at the corner of the street, not so we don't feel guilty. We do it because we love them and they hope they get food in their belly that day. Love starts to be this force in us that leads us to constantly explore our boundaries. Be honest, if you're a parent or if you're married, do you do more things now that you would have never done as a single person because of those people in your life? There are things I do now, I'm like, this would have never happened when I'm single. I would have never driven a minivan. I can tell you that. That would not have happened. I would have, I would have had to have been dead to be dragged into a minivan before I had wife and children. Now I'm like, that's a nice minivan. You see that? Did you see? The middle seat slides. Oh my goodness. We need that. I now actually will argue with people about why don't you have a minivan? It's the best tool for the job, people. That would have never happened before. Happens now. People who you love force you to stretch. They force you to get out of your comfort zone and to do things that make you uncomfortable. Why? Because you love them. So let's look at what God has to say about love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I want you to pay attention because there's danger with this verse. You've probably heard it at every single Christian wedding you've ever gone to. But, but because you've heard it doesn't mean you've actually listened to it. Right? Really listen to what God is saying to us in this. And I think it's important as we set context that there's a reason that there's just not a one sentence definition. Have you ever experienced something so profound and so beautiful that you, you can't put it into words? Not fully? It's kind of what you get here from Paul. And, and I love this because everybody acknowledges. Th think secular music. How many love songs are there in the world? I mean, unless it's rap music, which talks about a bunch of other stuff. Almost 90% of the music on the radio is about love. You would think eventually someone would sing a song and we'd go, that's the love song. That's the one and only love song. You never need to sing another one. That one's perfect. But no, we keep hearing other ones go, that one's good too. Why? Because you can't fully describe it. You can only get close. 
And so when a song hits elements of it, we go, oh, yeah, yeah, that is kind of like that. Oh, but you're right, it's also kind of like that too. But no one can ever sing the love song. Because what love really is, is beyond words. And so what we'll see Paul do here is he'll help us describe it by kind of setting a fence about what it is and what it isn't. So look at 13. He says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So what's he saying there? He's saying a lot of people in the church desire to have these, these showy gifts. Right back in this day when the church was young, you would see people have the ability to go to a foreign group that they couldn't speak their language, and God would give them the ability to speak that language natively to share the gospel. And of course, when people would see that happen, they would go, this is amazing. That's awesome. Do you see what God just did? And because it was kind of a showy gift, everybody was like, man, I hope I get that one. I want, I want that gift. And what Paul's doing here is he's going, guys, all the gifts in the world don't mean a thing if you don't have love. Forget your talents. Forget your gifts. Forget what you think you're awesome at. They're all rubbish if you don't have love. And the reason for that, brothers and sisters, is love is the motive behind every single one of the actions of God. Right, you and I have experienced this in our own lives. You've seen people before do the right action, but for the wrong reason. Do you give them any credit for it? No. Because you know they didn't do it for the right reason. They didn't have the right intention. They didn't have the right motive. And so what Paul's saying here is, Guys, all these actions that we do that are the church, if they're not driven, if they're not motivated by pure love, then they're wrong. We don't do this to gain merit. We don't do this to be better. We don't do this to create a legacy. We don't do this to make our own name great. We do this because we love. So if you don't have that, you have nothing. Absolutely nothing. And then he starts describing love. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag, and it is not arrogant. Patient. That means love gives account for people's flaws. Love gives account for people's failings. It gives account for people who need to mature and to grow. Love realizes that not everybody's perfect. In fact, nobody is. And so because we know that, we're, we're eager to sit back and give people the opportunity. It's patient. It's kind. It's amazing how many of us miss opportunities every single day just to extend a little bit of kindness. Do you know what's funny? I, I hear a lot of people who really like, I almost said love, going to Chick-fil-A because of how they're treated. At Chick-fil-A, if you say thank you, what will every single one of them t tell you? My pleasure. 
the one close to my house, I will regularly hear from them, I hope you have a blessed day, God bless you, have a great day. And it's weird because at fast food, typically the whole function and goal is to throw food at you as fast as possible and get you out of the line. So a lot of places are like, we don't have time for kindness. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm from the Midwest and, and I'm used to like Chicago and some of those places in big cities. And I remember traveling with Nicole there and we were at McDonald's once and we got in line and she, the, the person was like, what do you want? And it was funny because I didn't think anything of it. We get out and she's like, why was he so rude? And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. we're in Chicago. That's not rude. Rude would have been if he added words to that. But no, what do you want is just him being efficient and kind. That's just how they do things. They don't stop here and go, how you doing? Hope you're having a great day. Like you see northerners come south and they'll be like, what is with all the conversation? <laughs> just taking my order for crying out loud. But little things like kindness show people you matter. Have you ever noticed how we, we do this? We do this at work all the time where you see somebody like, how's it going? But you don't actually mean the question. Right? It'll be like, your how's it going? Right? You have no intention to actually hear them say anything but good. You're going to shock somebody tomorrow at work, go, how's it going, really? And stop walking. And actually talk to them about how it's going. Because that one little thing, while it seems so small, lets them know you matter. I see you. You're important. And what's happening in your life is worth my time. And so the beauty of love is it's not just the huge things. It's the small ones, too. It's the small ones, too. Love is patient. Love is kind. And then he says not only is, is love patient and love kind, he says that it's not arrogant. It's not jealous. It doesn't brag. Why? Because love is not about you. Love is not about you. And this is the biggest difference between us and the world when it comes to this world. This word. The worldly definition of love is it's about me. You make me feel this way, so I treat you this way. You give me this thing, so I give you this emotion. Because you do something for me, I now give you love. Paul goes, no, that's not how God's love works. God's love is not arrogant. God's love does not boast. God's love is not jealous. Because God's love is not about the person who gives the love. I don't do this because you give me something. And I'm not better because I love you. Love has a huge amount of humility in it. Where you are putting the other people first. That's the beauty of it is that love isn't about your own greatness. It's about your willingness to do things for others. He says, love is patient, love is kind. It is not jealous. It does not brag. It is not arrogant. And then verse 5. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. Married folks, pay attention to that one again. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Now, me and Nicole, we're perfect. Our marriage is awesome, so we never do this. We never bring up past things in a current argument, right? And I'm sure none of you guys do that. I'm sure none of you argue and go, oh, yeah, well, what about last year when you did? 
Right? Anybody in an argument ever done that? Right? You're getting in trouble for something you just did, and your best answer, because you have no valid reason for doing what you just did, is to bring up a wrong that your spouse did last week. And what you're basically trying to do is almost create like a stalemate of, I got something on you, you got something on me, so why don't we just drop it both and walk away? It's not a great way to handle things. Because one, you really haven't resolved either issue. And really, you're not showing love in that. Can you imagine? Uh, who here wants to get to heaven and have God go, sit down. Let's go through all the sins. Whew, I do not want that happening. Can you imagine? Like, I don't want last week's sins to be gone through item by item, let alone my entirety of life. Could you imagine what that would feel like? I mean, let's just be real. Any of you who think you're awesome and are a great person, just start listing your sins that you can remember from the time you were young. And you tell me what age it is that you start to realize, like, I can't believe God still has me on this earth. Love doesn't keep a list of those wrongs. It lets them go. It lets them pass. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, I really want to hit on a couple points here. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness. It rejoices with the truth, right? Brothers and sisters, this is another place where we are at war with the world's version of love. It's funny, a lot of Christians nowadays, people say we are not loving because we stand with the truth of God. What the world has turned love in is, is that I have compassion for you, I don't hurt your feelings, and I encourage you to do whatever you want to do. But let's be real here. Is that always the best thing for the person? No. If I'm in a toxic, terrible relationship where I am being beaten and belittled and betrayed and mocked day in and day out, but I feel good about it, should the loving people in my life be like, well, hey, if it makes you feel good, just stay there. No! Loving people in that person's life should go, hey, what's happening to you isn't right. You're being hurt. And yes, you have a strong emotion, but what's happening is wrong. Right? We don't rejoice in ugliness. We don't rejoice in sin. Instead, we plan ourselves in truth and go, look, because I love you, I have to tell you what hurts. Because I care about you. And if you don't fully understand this, just think about being a parent. How many times are you getting mad at your kids because they want to do something they don't fully understand? Right? If my little kid wants to drive my car, do I just go, sure? I'm not going to tell him no because he'll cry about it and I want to hurt his feelings and then he thinks I won't love him. No, I go, hey, I'd rather his feelings be hurt than he gets in an accident and kills himself. Love keeps itself centered in the truth. And brothers and sisters, I hope this is a calling card of our church. So many churches today will see sin rampant in the pews. And nobody else who's a brother or sister in Christ who sees it happening will ever address it. 
to just go out and pray for them. I hope, I hope they decide to realize that's wrong. Do you know what help them realize that's wrong? Is by someone who they love and respect coming to them in a loving, respectful way, telling them, hey, that's not what God's word says to do. Amen. And by the way, I know a lot of people who've gone down that path and it doesn't end well. And so because I love you, because I care about you, because God's word loves you and cares about you, I share this with you. Not to hurt you. Not to be boastful. Not to be arrogant. But because I care about you and I want the best for you. Amen. If more of us would do this, we would have better kids. If more of us would do this, we would have better marriages. If more of us would do that, we would have better relationships with each other. The whole, whole foundation of the church is that you can't do this on your own. You need a Savior. And you need brothers and sisters in Christ coming around you so you can be a body. But that doesn't work if we don't lift each other up. It doesn't work if we don't hold each other's hands and walk through these things in truth. And this is where the power of love shows itself. Loving people are not weak pushovers. Loving people are the ones that when they see darkness and the rest of the world calls it light, they go, no, that's not. Amen. You can call it whatever you want, but I know what that is, and I will not sit here and applaud it. I will stand against it. I will fight against it because love is what's in my heart. <laughs> You want to see the most powerful people in the world. You want to find the ones who are the most courageous. And I will tell you, most of them are motivated by love. Because they realize they have to fight. Not for themselves, but for someone else. And that's why we should be a bold people. It's because no matter what the world wants to call right or wrong, we know what God says is right or wrong, and we're not going to leave it. We're going to plant ourselves in that word and stand by it. Because we love people and we don't want this truth lost. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's the beauty of it. And he says you can do all this. Why? Because if you have love at the center, you will be planted in the foundation of God and you will survive all storms. You will survive them all. That's why I, I honestly don't understand how marriages work where both people don't have Christ. Because if you don't understand that kind of sacrificial love that God gave, marriage is hard. Right? You, you have two imperfect sinners in life together, in close proximity, sharing the most intimate moments, talking about the most difficult things in the world, and having to come to consensus on all of them. That's a recipe for disaster. Think how many business partnerships break. And that's where you don't even have to live together. But what Christ teaches us is, no, the reason you can get through this is because you have me to come back to. Because you realize that you're submissive to somebody else. You realize that there's an example of love that has been given to you that teaches you life isn't about yourself. It's about other things. It's about other people. And when you have that truth, when you have that knowledge, when you have love in your heart, here's what you realize. Take anything you want from me. You can't touch me. But real Christians who have real love in their hearts, you become invincible in a way. Because the greatest treasure of your heart isn't your health. It's not your material items. It's not your house. It's not money. It's not anything this world has to offer. It is the things that are in here. And here's what you realize. The world can't touch it. 
So do your best. Amen. Cancer can take my body, but it can't touch my love. Amen. The government can even rip my kids from my house, but you know what they can't take? My love for them and their love for me. You start to realize there is no force in this world, no matter how powerful or how ugly, that can actually strip away what you care about the most. And that's why as you read the New Testament, you see these Christians of unbelievable resiliency. They just stand no matter what comes their way. Right? Paul's in prison, sick, alone, beaten, broke, and goes, my cup overflows. My cup overflows. Why? Because he's like, I have a God who loves me so purely each and every day, and I have people that I love that I get to pour into each and every day. And as long as I have those things, you can't touch me. Amen. And I love it because it's confusing to his enemies. You see them talk about it. There's this one place in the New Testament where they're meeting and going, what do we do? <laughs> what do we do? If, if we put the guy in jail, he builds a church in jail. And he praises God because he, he gets to do that. If we torture him... He praises God because now he gets to suffer like his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we release him, he'll just keep building more churches out there. And if we kill him, he gets to go to the one place he really wants to go to. They don't know how to hurt him anymore. And I love that. Can you imagine your enemy sitting looking at you and going, we really have literally no idea how to inflict pain upon you anymore. You literally will be victorious in any scenario we put you into. That's what they saw in true Christians. Because they had this love. They had this love. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. I want to quickly go through a couple things on this. So why is love so important? It's important because love is what God is. 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And so brothers and sisters, what all of you need to understand about your own relationship with God and about becoming a Christian is there's two huge factors in it. One is a certain amount of knowledge. But you have to know some things about Him. You have to know some things about his character. You have to know some things about how he loves you. You have to know some things about what he's done. But the other piece is you have had to experience him. Now for some of us, we'll lean more on knowledge. For some of us, we'll lean more on experience. But at the end of the day, it's where those two things meet. Where you realize you know who he is and you have felt that he is love. It's where those two things hit where people truly encounter him. And will have the opportunity to make a decision about what they want to do with their life. I know who he is, and I've been with him. I've experienced his presence. And so the reason love is so important for us is that is who God is. He's not just loving. Love is a reflection of him. God is love. The second thing. Love is supposed to be our calling card. 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Let all that you do be done in love. And so again, this is why it's so important for us to understand how dynamic this word is. 
Right? This means I can be yelling at my child and spanking them in love. And in fact, what I'm called to do is to do that. Like parents, if you are ever disciplining your child in pure rage, stop. Go catch a breather, talk to your Lord, get right about what your intention is, and you may still come back and take things from them or punish them or spank them, but when you do so, it should not be from anger. It should be because you go, I love this little child. And I want them to be everything that God can shape them to be. And I want them to be somebody who's a good disciple. And I think this is what I need to do to help them get there. I don't like it. But when you love someone, you do things you don't like. And so you act then in love. Everything we do should be motivated by this action. So this is why I tell you, when you're arguing with somebody about your own beliefs, make sure that you don't just come off as an arrogant jerk. But you can debate a non-believer about Christianity and do so in such a way that you may win factually, but nobody watching it goes, that's a kind person. Right? In fact, they'll go like, okay, they seem to know a lot, but what a jerk. You failed. You failed. The whole point was not to show how much knowledge you have, but to show that you love, that you care. But even with this person that at that moment is acting like your enemy, you have personal love for them. Everything we do be done in love. My favorite, Matthew 22, 36-40. They asked Jesus, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. Amen. Remember that. Law and prophets, that's what they call scripture. He's saying, you want to, you want to know what law, the, the whole Bible is about? Love God, love people. Amen. And I told you this before. This wasn't the first time this is said. He's quoting Deuteronomy. He's quoting one of the first things that God ever spoke to His people. This has been the way of God's people from the very beginning. And it's unbelievably consistent. The Ten Commandments, first four, love God. Now they're written in the format of don't do these things because if you do these things, it's hard for God to believe you love them. The second six, love people. And again, it's written in the format of don't do these things because if you do, it's hard for people to believe you love them. Right? If you murder people, if you lie to people, if you're jealous with people, if you want everybody else's stuff, it's hard for you to go, I love all these people. It just doesn't, it just doesn't set. Go read the prophets. Israel is always in trouble from the prophets. And take a wild guess the two reasons they get in trouble from the prophets. Either they're not correctly loving God, or can anybody guess what the second one is? Or they're not correctly loving people. And so what I love about this verse, guys, is I'll, I'll be real. It's hard to remember everything the Bible has to say about everything. It's not hard to remember this. If you're ever in one of those gray areas where you're really just sitting there going, I don't know what I should do right now. I don't know what the right direction is. Pause for a minute, pray to your Lord, and remember this. My job is to love God and to love people. 
What action in this moment can I do that will best show that I love God and that I love people? And I'll promise you, most of the time, I mean, maybe there's exceptions to this rule, but most of the time, if you do what shows people you love God and love people, you're probably going to be okay. It's really not that hard. Love is the foundation of everything we talk about. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Let me, let me give you the working definition of love in my brain and, and what I try to teach my kids. I teach them that love is the joyful sacrifice for someone else's benefit. Love is when I, with happiness and joy in my heart, choose to sacrifice my own comfort, my own desires, my own wants, my own needs. Why? Because in so doing, I make things better for you. Amen. That's what love is. I have the power and ability, I have the opportunity to do something that would make me more comfortable, would make me more powerful, would make my life better, but instead, I will not do those things. I will choose a harder path. Why? For you, and I'll be happy doing it. I don't do it swearing under my breath the whole time. I don't do it going, you better remember this. You better remember it. I'm gonna, you're going to owe me for this. You do it going, I want to. Amen. I long to. Mm-hmm. In fact, you can't stop me. I have to. Love is the joyful sacrifice for the benefit of another. That's what he's trying to teach us. And brothers and sisters, that's why the cross has become the symbol of hope for us. I'll be honest, a lot of people who aren't Christians don't fully understand why Christians have this affection for the cross. They're like, isn't the cross where your Savior died? Isn't the cross the place where the person you love more than anything went through excruciating pain, misery, torture, ridicule, and ultimately a painful death? And you guys have turned that into your symbol? You plaster that everywhere. Why? It's a symbol of shame, but you, you, you put it on things. Why? The reason we do that is because it reminds us of that love that He has for us. Because that cross is the thing that reminds us of just how far our God will go for us. And I'll be real with you, brothers and sisters. I don't want to guilt you here, but like every day, that truth should be central in your heart. And here's why I say that to you. I'll be real. There are many moments in my life where I'm a coward. There are many moments in my life where, especially when it comes to loving people with discipline or loving people by sharing with them difficult things, I'm a coward. I'll I'll sit there and my wife will know because she'll see me planning it. And I'm like, oh gosh, I need to address this. I need to address this. And I will find every reason I can to not address it. Because I don't want to. It's painful. It's hard. It's difficult. I, it, it could hurt relationships. It could lead to arguments. It could lead to people breaking apart. Like, I just don't want to do that. 
But do you know ultimately what I have to remind myself in those moments? Do I think he wanted to be on that? Do you, do you think he wasn't in discomfort and that he wasn't in pain and that he wasn't in suffering in the moment that he was on the cross for us? Do you think in that moment he was just up there like, hey, this is easy. So glad to be here right now. No, in that moment he went through unbelievable pain. Not just physical, but also emotional. Why? Can you imagine watching the people you're dying for curse you? Can you imagine the people you created and who you've loved sitting there and mocking you? Not only that, but what you and I often miss is that the darkest moment of the whole thing, the only time that he ever cries out in pain is not for anything that physically happens to him. It's spiritual. It's the moment when the weight of all mankind's sin is put upon him and the Father pulls away for the first time in his entire life. It is then that he cries out. They have beaten this man. They have stabbed this man. They have whipped this man. They have kicked him. They have, they've done anything you could imagine to him. And we don't have any record of him crying out to God in those moments and going, why? It's only at that moment where his Father pulls away because of our sin, not his, ours. He cries out, Father, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? And so when I remember that he was willing to do all that because he loved me, that inspires me to get over my cowardice and do what needs to be done for him. It reminds me that, well, I can never pay him back for what he's done, and he would never ask me to. I can act like my Father. I can act by my Lord by in those moments not being terrified of the things around me and acting in love. Acting with boldness. Acting with a power that says, I will not let fear stop me. I will do what is right. I will do what my Lord has asked me to do. Look with me at Luke 23. It says two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Then they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him and saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if this is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him his sour wine, and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him that said, This is the king of the Jews. Whenever I read that, I realize how different he is from me. Can you imagine if you had the power to literally create anything with your words? Can you imagine being on that cross and that much pain and having people mock you and ridicule you and just taking it? He just... He just does. In that moment, he doesn't let anger, which would have been righteous, 
He doesn't let justice, which would be true. He doesn't let any of his own personal feelings come first. In that moment, he is willing to take all those things. Why? He sacrifices his rights for you and me. Because if he knows if he doesn't finish, then you and I are in trouble. One of the criminals who was hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even not or do you not even fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. What did that man have to offer Jesus? What did that man have to give him? He would never do a good deed for him. He would never share the gospel for him. He would never tithe to him. He'd never go to church for him. He would never do a single action for him. And in fact, all the actions he had done up to that moment were worthy of him being put to death. But in one moment of humility, in one moment of realizing that he deserved what he was getting and that he was wrong, in one moment of realizing that the man next to him was the Son of God, Jesus forgave him all that. And Jesus offered him his love. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth. Because the sun was obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. And when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. I share that story with you because as beautiful as Paul's words are about what love is, it's that action that tells you better what it is. And if you ever want to know why a Christian serves Jesus, it's not for their better life. It's not so they can be the best version of themselves. It's not so they can have more money in the bank account. It's not so that God makes all their dreams come true. The reason a true disciple follows Jesus for all their lives is because they understand what he did right there. How at any second, at any moment, he could have flown off that cross and he could have shown them the full might and power of the Almighty God. But instead, because he loved us, because he knew he had to sacrifice to make our lives better, he endured all that pain so that you and I could know His love. Amen. That's why we fall to our knees and call Him Lord. Amen. That's why we commit to Him everything we are and all that we have. And that is why we go outside those doors and we do not remain silent, but we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with anyone and everyone we can. Because when you love, you joyfully sacrifice for the benefit of others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we 
come before you, Lord, in awe of the love that you have for us. Father, we know we do not deserve it. But that never stopped you from giving it to us. Father, I pray that as individuals that we block out all those things we long for, Lord. All those things that the world reminds us we don't have. And that in this moment, Lord, each and every one of us would rejoice in knowing we have you. And we have your love. Father, that you loved us so much, you sent your one and only Son to die for us and to offer us eternal life. Father, I pray that everybody in this room knows the beauty of that gift and has decided to follow you, Lord. Father, we love you and we are so glad to call you Dad. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. As Maria comes and sings with us, uh, me and Brother Joe will be up here at the front. If there's anything on your heart that you want to pray about, I encourage you to come up and know that we'll pray with you. There's always people in this church who are willing to be along with the journey with you so that you don't have to do it alone. Joe? Let's all stand. <coughs>
Jesus, He loves me. He loves me, oh Jesus, how can it be? He loves me, He is for me. He loves me. Sing this chorus with me. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. people say it was always such an honor to be here to worship with you guys and to get into the word a uh, funny story for you so I have been trying to not speak so long in my sermons I bought myself a little timer that's sitting up here because I'm like you know I'm gonna turn it on when I start my sermon and I'm gonna try to keep it to 30 minutes I didn't turn it on and I definitely didn't keep it to 30 minutes but I actually am not gonna apologize for that this morning I hope you heard God's word coming to you this morning. We have an awesome week this week. This is the biggest week of the year for Christians because it's the one time that everybody is focused on what He has done for us. And so I encourage you, use this week, use the activities this week, not just for your own benefit and recharging, but use it as an opportunity to bring people here. Use it as an opportunity to share the gospel. Use it as an opportunity to let people know about what He's done. Brothers and sisters, if we're honest about the gift that He's given us, how dare we not share it with others? What kind of selfish people would understand the love that He's given and not share it with as many people as possible? We are so blessed. We are so honored. I love you all. May you have a great week. And may God bless you. Hold on. Before anybody goes anywhere, Miss Nicole, would you come up here for a second, please? While she's doing that, I have one other thing that I promised somebody I would do. Uh, Brother John is here with us today. And if everybody's not aware, I'll just be very blunt with you. There was a couple times last couple weeks, we weren't sure Brother John would ever be back inside this church. But God has shown that he has more work for John to do. And we are so blessed to have him in these walls. He wanted me to thank each and every one of you for the prayers. He wanted to thank you for the visits. And he wanted us to thank you just for being his family that he knew was there lifting him up all day and at every moment. And so thank you, Harmony. We, we always come together in the tough times. Thank you, John. Yes. 
So this Wednesday is Nicole and um, Brother Luke's anniversary. And she's like, oh, wait, it is. How many years? Nine. Nine years. And uh, so they, uh, we have all been blessed, as I'm sure we all can attest, to have you in our family and all your children. And um, we just love you guys so very much. And I know James and Donna is not here today, so I'm sorry. I don't have any funny jokes like James always gives you a hard time. So, But um, these are from all of us. So, um, And not everybody got to sign, and we apologize ahead of time, but it's mainly from all of us. So happy anniversary to you guys. We love you. God bless. Have a great week. You must be a strong woman. <laughs> <laughs> wow, time to go.